0: A Man of the Mountain. Written by Ashton Macaulay. Narrated by Lee James. Performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas. Published by Aberrant Literature. Chapter four, good morning. Shirley awoke Tuesday morning to the smell of fresh coffee and sunlight streaming through her small apartment window. There were very few things that could motivate her to get out of bed, but coffee was one of them, especially when she didn't have to make it herself. After a week of preparing the exhaustive list from the History Channel, she felt like she could have slept another year and still been tired. The bedroom door opened and Lindsay strode in, holding a steaming cup of coffee. Shirley swore she had never seen anything closer to an angel. The light streaming from the main room silhouetted her, completing the picture. If I've died and gone to heaven, at least let me sleep a few more minutes. Even in her early waking moments, Shirley had begun to worry. A nagging feeling at the back of her brain told her she was forgetting something. Likely one of the mundane items on the list she had been fulfilling for Manson. Lindsay smiled and stepped into the room. I'd say I'm not the biblical type, but you're awake before noon on a Saturday, so clearly miracles do happen. She moved to the edge of the bed, sat down and offered the cup to Shirley. With great effort, Shirley rose, feeling all the sore muscles in her back and legs. Shutting her eyes against the bright light, she took the cup from Lindsay's hand and felt its warmth radiate through her fingers. Slowly, She lifted it to her lips and took a sip. The feeling was electric as the hot liquid worked through her, bringing with it the precious tendrils of caffeine. There were few things that felt better than the first cup of coffee in the morning. For a few minutes, she just sat there, enjoying the sensation, feeling the warmth of the sun and Lindsay's company. It was bliss. Still, there was that nagging feeling that something wasn't quite right. What did I miss? She reached out a hand, placed it on Lindsay's thigh, and nearly recoiled in shock at her chilled skin. Hey, you alright? You're practically an iceberg. Lindsay gave no response. All at once, Shirley remembered what she had forgotten. Why is Lindsay here? She knew the answer and shut her eyes against it, hoping that if she didn't look, it wouldn't be true. Just stay here, remember the sunlight, feel the warmth. But she remembered. She had put blackout curtains over the windows months ago. There would be no light streaming through them. And there would be no Lindsay She opened her eyes. The edge of the bed was empty, as it always was. The bedroom door was ajar, and a pale green light was filtering through. Shirley felt a strange sensation as her legs began to move without her, propelling her out of bed and towards the light. No, stop this. I don't wanna see this again. She moved through the bedroom door unabated and into a stark room with metal cabinets and a row of tables down the center. Above, a ventilation fan blew chilled air into the room, spreading the horrible sweet odor of formaldehyde. Within the vent, the fan thumped rhythmically, adding a layer of madness to the whole scene. For a minute, Shirley just stood there, in the door, looking down the long rows of metal tables, all empty except one. Halfway down the row, a body lay covered in a white sheet. She didn't have to guess who it was. Once was enough! I don't wanna come back here! But as if on invisible rails, her body once more moved forward. The thumping of the fan got louder with each reluctant step. Before she knew it, she was at the center table, grasping the edge of the sheet in her hand. No. The hand, no longer feeling like her hand, pulled the sheet back. Lindsay's shocked face stared up at her from the slab, terror still playing on it. The mortician had been able to wipe the fear away. Some things stayed with you, even after you died. Shirley felt warm tears pour down her cheeks, and the thumping above grew louder. It was oppressive, taking up all the sound in the room. But Shirley barely heard it. Her eyes were locked with Lindsay's, experiencing the whole thing over again. Why the hell did it have to be her? From the far end of the room, Shirley saw a blur of motion at the corner of her eye. The fan grew louder, rising like a bass drum in a marching band. She looked up only for a split second and saw it. The creature was easily 10 feet tall covered head to foot in dark brown fur. Long claws hung down at its sides, dripping blood onto the sterilized floor. Its head was tilted slightly in interest. Slowly, its lips curled back, revealing a set of thick, pointed teeth. It let out a roar, shaking her very bones. She tried to scream, but nothing came out. The creature rushed her, its footfalls pounding in time with the fan, shaking Lindsay's table. Shirley was frozen, staring at the oncoming attack, knowing there was nothing that could be done. 15 feet away, five feet away. (sighs) Shirley awoke with a start, leaping from her bed. Her body was slick with sweat and her heart was pounding so hard that she feared it might burst from her chest. Her vision was blurred, but she recognised her apartment and felt the tension in her back and shoulders begin to ease ever so slightly. She was back in her bedroom, but other than a sliver of light peeking out from behind the blackout curtains, it was dark. Taking a deep breath, Shirley willed herself to calm. It was a difficult process, but over the years, she had many opportunities to practice. The noise from the dream came again, only faster, and Shirley nearly jumped out of her skin. Miss Codwell, are you in there? Called someone from the other side of the apartment's main door. Shirley turned to her clock saw that it was nearly 10 a.m. and felt a new sense of terror flood her. Shit! 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 She looked around desperately for a pair of pants. Be right there! Miss Codwell, this is completely unacceptable. Preparations for Dr Manson's arrival... Shirley stopped listening. She couldn't tell for sure, but it sounded like the same dolt she had spoken to on the phone previously. Half running, half hopping, she pulled up a pair of jeans that were far tighter than she wanted them to be and made it to the door. Giving her hair a quick comb through with her fingers, she took a deep breath and opened it. The man on the other side was small, mousy, and clearly aggravated. His fist was held mid-knock, knuckle-pointed to Shirley. He lowered it to his side sheepishly, but his face remained beet-red. Shirley's heart rate had slowed to a dull thud. But she could still feel the lingering sickness from her dream, pulsating through her. It always stuck around. Well? She willed herself to be pissed off at being woken, rather than depressed. She put a hand on one hip to solidify the image. The man looked stunned, unsure of what to say. Dr. Manson will be here in less than a few hours. Do you have all the items we requested? Shirley rolled her eyes. Yes. You made it very clear that he wouldn't show up without him. Although what he's going to do with a taxidermied rabbit is a question I really don't want the answer to. He didn't request- Relax. Let's take a trip to the forestry center and I can show you what we have set up. But first, I'm going to need a strong cup of coffee. From the visionary minds at Aberrant Literature comes a short fiction collection unlike any other, Aberrant Tales. Bursting at the seams with stories of creativity, excitement and wonder, Aberrant Tales takes the very best in modern science fiction, fantasy and horror, and weaves them into one thrilling eclectic package. Featuring the works of Ashton McCauley, M.T. Roberts, Daniel Kurland and Jason Peters, Aberrant Tales is available today in ebook hardcover and paperback versions. Online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature. Chapter 5. The Falls. The sound of gnashing metal blades filled Jonas's cabin as he ground the beans for his afternoon cup of coffee. It had been a long and uneventful week. Each night the snows had been heavier than the last, leaving him to shovel a path out of the cabin each day just so he could keep track of where it was. The trail he travelled was very specific and missteps couldn't be afforded. It was hard work, but the weather kept hikers away leaving Jonas completely alone on the mountain just the way he liked it. Though his excursions were difficult in the more extreme weather, the solitude had allowed him to travel farther down the mountain than normal without being noticed. On the nights he was able to get out, he roamed as far as the lower family trails, leaving samples and marks everywhere he could. The storms would likely blow away all his hard work, but even for the slightest chance, the effort was worth it. He knew that the heavy snows wouldn't last much longer. The temperature still stayed well below freezing most of the time, but winter was clearly in its final push before spring. Not long after that, people would arrive. As the days grew longer, hikers grew more adventurous, meaning he would have to be extra careful. There were always more accidents during spring and summer. He shook off the thought and poured coffee into a plain brown mug that read, Protect Our National Parks. Outside, the shadows were beginning to grow long. The mountain was clearly in between two storm fronts, leaving clear skies for the rest of the day and into the evening. With the weather breaking, Jonas knew he would have to head out soon. His body ached from shoveling, but there was no getting around it he had to use the opportunities he was afforded. A nagging feeling began to tug at the nerves behind his temples. It happened every time a piece was published. While he had tried not to get his hopes up, the lack of response to the article in the local eye was disheartening. Rick Manson still hadn't announced where he was going next, but Jonas now believed it was anywhere but Clearwater. The thought of it made him want to stay in the cabin and drown his sorrows. But the weather was fair and he had a job to do. As he passed the kitchen to deposit his coffee mug, he spied the cabinet that concealed his last bottle of whiskey. He passed it reluctantly, knowing that the mountain was dangerous enough without it. A twinge of nostalgia and darkness played in the back of his mind as he double-checked his supplies. He was thankful for it, as it pushed the nagging self-resentment away. This particular darkness had a clearly identifiable source and Jonas knew the solution to ease it. He put on his snowshoes and opened the cabin door into the blinding afternoon light. White mounds of snow came up to his hips on either side. Ahead, he could see the results of his hard work in the form of a small trench leading into the forest. Above, the sky had just begun to tint with orange as the sun made its way towards the horizon. If I hurry, I can make it before sunset. With renewed resolve, Jonas set out towards one of his favourite places on the mountain. Clearwater Mountain, another clever name for a local landmark, was now snow-capped in the winter, but melted almost entirely during the summer, giving way to a series of massive waterfalls fed by the glacier just below the summit. Fields of flowers spread out beneath, giving a spectacular and picturesque appearance for visiting tourists. Unlike most, Jonas preferred the winter form. As the mountain grew cold, the falls would freeze, turning sparkling blue and sending jagged spikes of ice tumbling down to a great snowy field below. The spot held a special significance for him and on days when he thought he might give up the job altogether, he would make the climb. To get to the top of the falls was no easy feat for everyday hikers, but even with a little climbing experience, it was a quick ascent. To the right side of the base was a rock chute, narrow and easily scalable with the right equipment and skill. At the edge of the main trails, Jonas donned his gear. Climbing would be more difficult in the suit, but he couldn't risk being seen. He looked up at the deepening red in the sky and hurried through the deep powder towards the base, grunting and howling. The sound echoed off the falls and reverberated a hundred times back across the field. It was intimidating, even to him. He reached the bottom of the chute and looked up. A series of handholds were still in place from the last climbing season and looked stable. There was a stash of rope in a crevice nearby, but Jonas had always preferred to go without it. Taking away the lifeline made him careful and reminded him just how close the other side could be. Hand over hand, he began to climb. He had made the ascent dozens of times and before long was clambering over the top onto the hard-packed ice. His arms burned, but he was otherwise unscathed, having arrived just in time to see the sunset. Further down the mountain was a viewing platform with coin-operated binoculars for those who didn't want to make the climb. Jonas had purposefully scuffed all the lenses long ago to ensure that no one would ever get a clear look at him. There had been a few grainy photographs taken by amateurs, but no one wanted to believe, making them easily dismissed. Silhouetted atop the falls, Jonas stepped to the edge and let out his mightiest roar, beating his chest with his hands. It would have been a fear-inspiring image, but as he suspected, the viewing platform was empty. On the horizon, churning clouds signaled the beginning of yet another storm. The sun cast them in sharp relief, painting the image of what was to come. The well descended into a hazy twilight as the last light went out of the day. A bitter wind blew across the top of the falls, sending tiny motes of crystalline ice skittering across. Even through the suit, Jonas could feel the chill. He walked to the edge of the falls and sat down. Thousands upon thousands of frosted white pine trees stared back at him keeping Sentinel on the slopes below. He thought of the hiker from the week before and his stomach did a slight turn. It seemed he had come to the falls for more than one reason. The view was beautiful, but also held history. He stood and walked away from the ledge, following the curvature of the ice towards a steep ascent to the summit beyond. He didn't need to go far. Standing still, same as the day he had placed them, were three large stones heaped into a pile. To the passerby, the sight wouldn't appear intentional, but Jonas would always be able to find it. He stared at the stones, remembering the man he was before and after he had placed them. So much had changed in a matter of a few seconds. His first year had passed without incident, but as with most fatal encounters, He was overconfident and miscalculated. The famous Clearwater Falls were pictured on promotional material at every rest stop for miles, and he had wanted to get a look for himself. It was late into the summer, and most of the crowds had left the mountains. In short, it was the perfect time. But one climber had decided to make a final summit bid before fall. Jonas had set out from his cabin in the late afternoon, walking strictly in the brush barely visible from any of the main trails. He had been so careful, even picking his way across the flower fields. He had kept low and listened for hikers. All signs pointed to the perfect evening, an empty mountain and a beautiful sunset to top it off. He reached the chute without incident and climbed. It was at the top of the chute that he made his critical mistake. Rather than waiting to check, He had simply popped right out with no effort towards concealment. That's when he saw her. The sight must have been comical at first, a man clearly masquerading as a furry mess, climbing out of the crag. What little humour there was passed quickly. The joy of climbing the falls turned to ash and settled in his throat. The climber had seen him, and there was no room for negotiation on what had to happen next. His employers had made sure of that. For the first time, he felt the weight of the blades concealed in his gloves. In that moment, Jonas learned what it was like to become a killer. There was no choice in the matter, only bitter certainty. He wanted to turn around, to run, but knew it would be no use. Leaving a loose end behind would make him a liability and end his tenure on the mountain. Beyond that, he sensed a part of him that wanted to stay. In that moment, he wasn't Jonas. He was a beast of legend, staring down prey. The climber hesitated, frozen in the red glow of the setting sun. For a minute, neither of them moved. Then, throwing caution to the wind, she ran directly at him. The only route down was through the chute, and Jonas was standing right at the top of it. He panicked and swung hard right as she passed him. There was a horrifying tugging sensation as his claws found their mark. Then just as quickly, they were free. Three red streaks splattered the gray rock. The hiker continued to run, stumbling and grabbing at her chest. Jonas reached out to stop her, but she went right over the edge of the falls, plummeting to the field below. For a moment, he could do nothing but stand there watching gravity do its work. Seconds passed like hours, and eventually he heard a sound that he would never forget. As she struck the rocks below, I need to move. Most of the tourists were gone, but if anyone had been on the viewing platform, the climber's dive would have been hard to miss. The journey back down was difficult and he nearly fell several times due to the numbing sensation in his fingertips. All he could think of was a look of surprise on her face as his claws cut deep. He continued to move, knowing that every second he wasted could mean his freedom or his life. Jonas had stayed in the cabin for days, waiting for the banging of local authorities on his door, but time passed and no one came. Eventually, he received a small package with a note and a rolled up newspaper. While it could not lift his spirits completely, the tabloid headline featuring, Bigfoot strikes on Clearwater Mountain roused something inside of him. In that moment, he was alive. Maybe more alive than he had ever been. The night after receiving the headline, Jonas had gone back to the top of the chute and erected his memorial. Ever since the accident, most people had avoided the summit. Most of them didn't believe a legend had done it, but they weren't willing to risk it either. Looking down at the stones, He could not believe how much had changed. Years had passed, more had died, but the legend had grown. Fuck it, he said to the wind. Even if monster hunters didn't come this time, they might the next. He wasn't going to give up on the only thing that gave him purpose so easily. Bending down, he let his gloved hand run over the stones, remembering that night. Eventually, he turned around and walked back towards the edge. As he descended, he left several samples of fur, wedging them in the crags. Most of the time, climbers were too busy to notice them, but there was always a chance someone would get curious. When he reached the bottom, it was nearly full dark and a pale moon had risen into the sky, causing the frosted layer on the field below to twinkle like an ocean of stars. Jonas looked over it, admiring the beauty. His heart skipped a beat. At the edge of the clearing was a blinking red dot. Jonas's reaction was immediate. You imbeciles and your fucking cameras. Without a moment's hesitation, he charged, heart racing in his chest with each thundering step. The light was not moving. Huge plumes of snow kicked up in the field behind him. Fucker isn't even recording from a good angle. As he got closer, he noticed something odd. There was no hiker. A wave of relief hit him, followed by a greater wave of excitement. The blinking light was attached to a tree. He approached and saw a small yellow pyramid with a microphone mounted in the middle. Jonas pried it from the bark with ease and couldn't help but grin like an idiot when he saw the label. Painted in bold black letters was Property of the History Channel. Do not remove. A Man of the Mountain. Written by Ashton McCauley. Narrated by Lee James. Performances by Lee James and Sarah Ruth Thomas. Published by Aberrant Literature. Music and sound effects licensed under Creative Commons. Snowfall. What is and what could be. Punch Deck. At punch underscore deck. Impact Moderato. Simplex. Sunset at Glen Gorm. Kevin McLeod. In Compitech.com. For a detailed listing of the music and sound effects used and their associated links, refer to the episode's description. From the imagination of acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the next great anti-hero in American fiction. His name is Nick Ventner, alcoholic by trade and monster hunter by profession. When Nick gets hired by a wealthy benefactor to find the lost gates of Shangri-La, it's up to him and his crotchety companion, James, to deliver the goods. The two soon find themselves on the adventure of a lifetime, and in addition to being chased by Nick's longtime rival, Manchester, they soon find themselves being hunted by a mythical and elusive yeti that has been terrorizing the Himalayas. Featuring non-stop action and an acerbic wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley is a thriller a minute page-turner you won't be able to put down until it's finished. You can find Whiteout in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.